0: Support for The Source podcast comes from UT Health San Antonio, South Texas' largest academic research institution, where what is discovered in its labs translates into life-changing patient care. More at groundbreakingresearch.org.
1: Live from the John L. Santico studio, this is The Source on Texas Public Radio. I'm Kayla Padilla, in for David Martin-Davies. I do want to make a note to our listeners before we start the show that David Martin-Davies is still on medical leave through the rest of this week, and he will be returning on Monday. But for today's show, we're talking about the risks of nighttime driving, and joining us today is Dr. Sumitra Candlewall. She's a professor of ophthalmology at Baylor College of Medicine, Colon Eye Institute and also serves as a medical director for the Lion's Eye Bank of Texas. And Dr. Candlewall, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you so much for the invitation.
1: So for our listeners, if you have a question for Dr. Candlewall about the challenges of driving at night, you can call us at 833-877-8255. That's 833-TPR-TALK. You can also email us at thesource@tpr.org. What makes driving at night so difficult for you? Do you avoid it altogether? We'd like to hear from you. So Dr. Candlewall, has driving at night become more dangerous over the years?
2: You know, I think as an ophthalmologist, and I see patients of various ages who are adults, driving at night has always been a challenge. And it's something that patients really notice with time and as they age. It's one of the most common complaints that I get. The actual complaint of what makes it challenging to drive at night is something that I try to ask the patients to describe because nighttime blurriness comes in different forms, It can be glare or halos around streetlights. It can be difficulty in actually looking at the signs when you're driving in areas where you don't know. Or it can be just an overall nighttime blurriness that patients don't notice during the daytime. And when I start asking these questions, it starts making patients kind of understand, you know, what are the challenges they're having? And it helps me decide which direction we're going to go with the exam.
1: And so how is nighttime vision different from daytime? What happens to the eye at nighttime? Well,
2: there's a few things. First off, I mean, obviously in the dark, visibility is less. And so certainly you're not going to be able to see different objects as quickly, despite the fact that sometimes you're in a city area where there's a lot of uh, lights overhead, like lamp lights, or even in a rural area. But there are some interesting things that happen even to our own body at nighttime when the Light is not very good. For example, our pupils will dilate a little bit more. And so there's this term, it's called higher order aberration, very technical term. But basically, as your pupil gets bigger, things get a little blurrier, actually. It allows more light in. And then we see that nighttime driving gets affected by these higher order aberrations. The other thing that happens when our pupil gets bigger, which most patients don't really understand, is that your prescription may change a little bit in your eyeglasses. So say you have the perfect prescription for daytime and you do really, really well with your contacts or your glasses, but at nighttime you feel like you're so much blurrier, when you go and see your eye doctor, for example, they'll check a little closer, and sometimes there'll be a little bit of nearsightedness, meaning a little bit of a minus power that they capture that you need in your prescription, or they may even catch something like astigmatism, and that's one of the more common reasons why people will see streaking around headlights. It's very different than like halos around headlights. They'll actually see that things are streaky, and it's more obvious at nighttime because more light is entering the eye, and so we'll catch that for these patients. So it is something that's, you know, patients will say, well, I think they have a pretty good glasses prescription. It's about a year old or two years old. Or I I think we all have patients um, who maybe use an old pair of contact lenses, for example. But I always stress that that's the first step to making sure that your nighttime vision is optimized, is to make sure you have the correct prescription for now, not like two years ago.
1: (laughs) Well, is it normal to see glares or halos around lights at night? Like, at what point does that become concerning? Because I know some people talk about how they see that, and then, you know, they ask other people, like, hey, do you see this also?
2: Absolutely. Well, first off, there is a little bit of like a baseline ring around lights at nighttime that people sometimes will see. And that has to do with those higher order aberrations. And there have been studies showing that patients who have really largely dilated pupils um, in the dark conditions will have more of these higher order aberrations. But the other thing to keep track of is even people with really big pupils, they're able to drive great um, at nighttime for many years. And then they start to notice more awareness of this glare or these halos around streetlights or around other cars coming towards them, oncoming traffic. And I will say it's very important um, to make sure that your whole optical system, you know, everything you look through um, is clear as possible. So one example is The windshield to our cars, Um, it can actually get pretty dirty. And you don't even realize it um, because, you know, we have these fancy windshield wipers. We know they're not perfect. You can see that they leave some some streaking as well. And what happens is during the daytime, you may not notice it. But at nighttime, suddenly any aberrations in that windshield, any areas where it's a bit splotchy can become even more apparent. So that's one window in our world um, that can make things blurrier at nighttime when we drive. The second thing is our own headlights. that are supposed to help us create more light. But it would be amazing if you go out and you drive in really muddy conditions, for example. Sometimes your actual screen over your headlights can get pretty dirty, Um, maybe less so in in a city-type center. Um, But certainly if you start to take a look at your headlights, you'll see big splotches um, on the headlights as well. That can contribute a little bit. Probably the biggest window that I see that's very, very treatable is people's own glasses. It's amazing how many patients... Mm -hmm. They come to see me in my clinic, and they say I'm really blurry. And we'll check their glasses prescription, and it's the same. And really, when I look at their actual glasses, they're very, very dirty. They're very splotchy. They have little areas um, where they just need to be cleaned. And then I'll clean their glasses, and I'll give it to them, and they'll be like, "Wow, my vision's so much better." And my mind, I'm like, "Wow, I'm like the most expensive glasses cleaner person in the city." But it is just one of those things, and we don't realize it because it's slow. It's something that doesn't affect you on a day-to-day basis but over time really important to make sure that your own glasses um, are very clean and then lastly even contact lenses you know we you know i know patients um, are out there wearing their contacts for a little longer than they're supposed to um, but there's a reason why there's a deadline to whatever contact lens platform you have It's because you can get small aberrations in your contact lenses and that can create issues not just with health of the eye and risk of infection but also even the quality of vision so those are all very easy things that you can sort of manage on your own even if you're starting to notice blurriness um say at nighttime or in the evening time but of course an eye exam may see more things than that um at least in my practice what i see when patients come in and they're having new nighttime vision, nighttime aberrations, As I see patients who've developed cataracts and I see patients who have developed dry eye, and both of those things can really affect nighttime vision. It comes down to the fact that, much like the windshield in your car, you want things to be as clear as possible in order to see. And so, for example, if you have a cataract, a cataracts kind of make the vision a little bit blurry. There's age-related cataracts that can be very gradual with time. There's also some other types of cataracts that maybe are from different medications um, or different diseases Mm -hmm. that can happen a little younger in life. And those can all contribute to the overall vision being a little blurrier. But I would say nighttime vision is the first complaint that patients have when they have cataracts.
1: But well, we, can, we can talk more about that when we get back uh, from this break. The number to call if you have a question or comment for Dr. Candlewall is 833-877-8255. That's 833-TPR-TALK, and you can also email us at thesource at tpr.org. This is The Source on Texas Public Radio, and we'll be right back.
0: Support for TPR comes from the Lawton family of restaurants. Cappy's, Cappuccinos, Mama's Cafe, La Fonda on Main, and Jingu House. Located in San Antonio. Their diverse menus and hours can be viewed at LawtonRestaurants.com. Welcome
1: back to The Source on Texas Public Radio. I'm Kayla Padilla. We're, talk- we're talking to Dr. Candlewall, an ophthalmologist and professor at Baylor College of Medicine about how we could all be safer when driving at night. The number to call with a question is 833-877-8255, that's 833-TPR-TALK. You can also email us at thesource at tpr.org and I want to go to a caller that we have. Let's go to John and John go ahead, you're on the air.
3: Hi. Thank you for this important conversation. So I was wondering about the really bright headlights. So I've had them be so bright that I had to pull over so that my eyes adjust. And I was wondering why there isn't more regulation on these types of headlights, because I've heard many people say similar things, that they find them extraordinarily blinding for many, many seconds afterwards. I'll take my response off the air. Thank you
1: so much. All right. Thank you so much for that call, John. Um so Dr. Candlewall, this idea, we even we got a few emails also about this, about these blinding headlights. And could you talk more about that?
2: Yeah, you know, the newer headlights, you know, most older headlights are with halogen and with these newer LED lights and there's like all different ways. Um in fact there's even places where Online, you can kind of change the headlights that the manufacturer put in for brighter lights. And the idea is that it helps the driver perhaps see better. Um, but absolutely, it's very challenging, even with the healthiest optical system, even with no cataracts, no dry eye, the cleanest windshield, you know, to adjust to some of these uh, really bright um, headlights like the LED lights. And I know there's a lot of work that's being done put in to understanding, you understanding know, how that works in the real world and whether or not those need to be taken off. I mean, it's similar to some of the other items we have in our world that is very bright, like the blue light emitting um, devices and such, and it can be very startling for all age patients. I will say this though, the challenge with driving at nighttime, it's one that actually I've seen in patients even before any of these lights were available. Um, And I think part of it, and I tell my patients this, is it's the preparation and anticipation um, when you're driving that another car will be coming at you. And I find that when we are talking about a lot of city driving, I think we're all a little desensitized um, to how bright some of these headlights are. But certainly when you're not driving in that type of area, um, you get very startled or surprised to see another car turning the corner, and even worse so if the lights are very bright. I always recommend, you know, as wonderful as it is is for you to be able to see better by putting on your brights, for example. When you're driving in areas where there's no other cars, you have to be very conscientious of that because that is a very high source of accidents. Um, You know, you're putting on your bright lights because you can't see as well um, in some of these areas. But another car that's coming from the other direction is not going to anticipate that. You know, there's things you can control and there's things you can't. Um, And, you know, I will let FDA and all of those that are discussing, you know, these type of headlights. But from what I take from this is that you can't control the other driver's headlights at this point in time. You also can't control how fast they drive. That's another complaint that I get from patients is I don't mind driving at night. But, you know, in certain areas, especially in the city, people are driving so fast at nighttime. And so I always tell them. You can't control how fast the other drivers are either. And so what you can do is you can control your own world as far as safety goes. You can do all the things I mentioned. You can make sure that you've got your eyes as healthy as possible. And then... If it's a challenge with driving, say, on the freeways at nighttime, it's okay to be a little bit honest about that. Our reaction time on the freeway is so incredibly important. Um, Our reaction time decreases as we get older, and our reaction time decreases in the nighttime as well. And so I'll tell patients, you know, if you don't know where you're driving necessarily, you want to stay safe. Um, And that you can control. You can't control other people's speed. You can't control other people the way their cars are fixed or the way that they um, appear or how fast they're going when they take a turn, but you can control your own world. And that's what I would encourage people, especially because all you need is one nervous moment driving at night. And suddenly patients will just say, I don't want to drive at nighttime at all. But the reality is if you know where you're going, if you're at a very comfortable speed for you, it's okay to still drive. And it's important because you know in the summertime, Nighttime is, you know, very minimal. But right now, I mean, for example, it's wintertime and I get my most common number of phone calls about nighttime driving issues in October, November, because suddenly what is nighttime driving actually starts at like 630 in the evening. So it's important for people to keep their confidence, um, but to also be, you know, honest about what they can and can't do in certain situations. I want to
1: go to another caller. We have Catherine on the line and Catherine, go ahead. You're on the air.
2: Hi, thank
3: you for taking my call. <clears throat> I just had the
2: monocular <clears throat> surgery on the 6th for cataract surgery. Um, I, I was healthy. I was expecting to see distance because I had a pair of glasses that was bifocals. I'm not seeing distance clearly at all. I'm kind of concerned. Um, I was under the understanding that the lens I could see distance. You know the next day and drive in five days i can't even drive right now i can't see the signs clearly so i'm really concerned do i need to wait longer i'm in the last week of the eye drops and um i don't know whether i should call the doctor again and let them know that i'm not seeing clearly mm-hmm.
1: all right well thank absolutely, you so much you know, for that call Catherine and dr candlewall do you want to respond to that
2: absolutely i think at this point you know so first of all after cataract surgery there are a number of patients that will see a little bit blurrier especially if it's a really big cataract takes a lot of energy to remove and so i always caution people that hey you know you, you may have good vision in a couple of days it may take a week depending on how big your cataract was with all that being said at this point in time this many weeks after cataract surgery and it sounds like she's about three or four weeks you should be noticing much better vision now with cataract surgery oftentimes at the month one visit or so we will provide a prescription for patients so there may be a little bit of nearsightedness there may be some astigmatism um, that is needed to be corrected with the glasses prescription so it's very important um, to get that follow-up appointment scheduled the second thing is some patients will get a little bit of dry eye we didn't touch on this as much in the earlier segment um, but dry eye is much more common and then one thinks um, as far as how it affects your quality of vision, I mentioned the splotches on the windshield for example, dry eye can do the same thing and we do see a little bit higher risk of dry eye after any cataract surgery. and so. When I see patients after cataract surgery, I like take a good look and see if they've developed any new or dry eye, put them on specific eye drops to help them. So that may be something else that is going on, but I absolutely encourage you to return to your doctor. You should be seeing better at this point in time and seeing if there's any other issues that are affecting this blurry vision. I bring up the dry eye because I think that's my one of my more common reasons why young people get blurry vision, for example. And so... You know, I'll tell people there's kind of two reasons why you see blurrier, especially at nighttime with dry eye. One is sometimes you get little dry eye, almost like little patches, and that can affect the vision quite a bit. Um, And so using lubricating eye drops is important. And for those patients who do a lot of driving, including nighttime, that sometimes can get dry when they drive. I tell them to just, you know, put an eye drop in, let it kind of settle in for a minute or two. And when they're taking breaks during their long drives to, to take a moment to maybe put another eye drop in. The second thing is this idea of it's called tear evaporation. Um, and basically, whenever we look at something and we're really, really focused on it, we don't blink that much. Examples in our day to day life are like the computer. Um, when you're staring at the computer, I think everybody gets this episode where their eyes become really aching and and what it is is that we probably blink about 50% less when we're staring at a computer and so therefore our eyes get drier. Similar things happen when you're really focused and driving, especially if for whatever reason it's a little bit more challenging to drive. And what'll end up happening is you won't blink as much. And so it's important um to also just make sure um that when you're doing long drives daytime or nighttime, you're taking breaks um, and that's where sometimes having Somebody else there to kind of read the signs for you can be helpful as well if you're doing long drives.
1: Well, I want to go to another caller that we have. Uh, We have Charles, and Charles, go ahead. You're on the air.
3: Well, thank you for taking my call. I had cataract surgery, I think, four or five years ago. And uh, when I go to see the uh, uh, optometrist, I have close to 20-20 vision, some stigmatism. But even with the cataract surgery, I have horrendous uh, flashing, so I'm really afraid to drive at night. And when I talked to the doctor who did the surgery, she said, oh, with that those kinds of lenses, you're going to still get that flashing. And I thought, okay, I wouldn't have had those lenses put in if I'd known that because uh, it's is bad or if if not worse than before I had the cataract surgery. During the day, I have perfect eyesight. You know, 20-20, I can read everything. But I'm not driving at night very much because of that. So I'm curious if the doctor knows what may be going on.
1: All right, Charles. Well, thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate that. Um, and Dr. Candlewall, can you talk a little bit more about what you think might be going on here and talk about uh, more about cataracts?
2: Absolutely. So whenever you have cataract surgery the surgeon will take out the cloudy lens um, and put in a clear new lens in its place. That lens implant can be one of several different types. Probably the most common is a standard lens implant. Um, It basically can only see either distance or intermediate or near. It has no astigmatism correction. And everybody will just kind of wear glasses afterwards and they're okay with that. And I think the earlier caller mentioned um, that she'd had a monofocal uh, lens placed. The advantage of that is that it's got no aberrations on the lens. It's just one smooth material all the way across with one focal point. However, there are other lenses that are able to see multiple focal points. For example, distance and intermediate vision for example, seeing across the room, but then also seeing your computer or seeing across the room and seeing your computer and even seeing up close, like your phone, for example. These ways, in order for that lens to see the multiple focal planes, they have to use different systems on the lens in order to see them. And so probably the most common, which I think the caller had, is called a multifocal lens. And what it is, is that, Little rings are on the actual lens implant that goes in the eye. And each ring sees a different focal point. And if you want to say, have, say, a bifocal lens, it may have two or three rings. If it's, say, a trifocal, meaning you want to see up close in the computer distance, it'll actually have a lot of rings, like seven or eight rings, for example. And so each of these lenses have the risk of glare and halos at nighttime and I always caution patients who are interested in these lens implants that they will have glare and halos afterwards and so it's important because on one hand a patient who chooses this doesn't want to wear glasses um, and it's great the color is 20-20 for example but on the other hand you know we're sacrificing some contrast and we're sacrificing what sounds like some glare at nighttime And I always tell patients that, you know, if they've had these lens implants in the past and they're struggling with night vision, which it sounds like the caller is, the lens implant can be taken out and a new lens implant put in that is clear with no rings. And that's something that it sounds like that caller or other listeners um, who are concerned about the lens implant that was put in, may want to get evaluated for. It's not an easy surgery to do, but it's one that we do quite a bit for all different types of reasons, not this. Um, But if you had cataract surgery and you have a lens implant in the eye and you're struggling with the nighttime vision because that lens implant has those rings, it is something to definitely get assessed. And sometimes I'll even have a patient like the caller who had it in both eyes and I'll just exchange one of the eyes, and that'll cut the glare and halos by 50% at nighttime. And they're pretty happy with that, and they can still use the other eye in order to see all those focal points. So I highly encourage anybody's having challenges with the glare and halos to either go back to their original surgeon, um, or if not, to get a second opinion about what can be done in order to allow them to have better vision.
1: So, just to sum it up, what you're saying is that uh, what, the pa- what the caller was, is experiencing is normal, but there are
2: other options. Correct. What the caller is experiencing is something that happens with certain lens implants, mm-hmm. um, but it's something that can be fixed in some ways. Um, they just need to get an evaluation to see if they're a candidate to take out those lenses.
1: Well, we can, uh, we're can. we going to go ahead and take another break right here. And if you have a question for our guest today, you can call us at 833-877-8255. This is The Source on Texas Public Radio, and we'll be right back.
0: I'm Tanya Mosley. And I'm Juana Summers. People collect all sorts of things sports memorabilia, stamps, and antique lamps.
2: If you've collected a few classic cars over the years and you also
0: love public radio, consider this. Donate it to this station, and it could mean hundreds of dollars in support. Donate online at tpr.careasy.org or call 877-486-1227.
1: You're listening to The Source on Texas Public Radio. I'm Kayla Padilla, in for David Martin Davies. Do you avoid driving at night? Do you have a story of driving at night gone wrong? Call in at 833-877-8255. That's 833-TPR-TALK. You can also email us at TPR.org. We're talking to Dr. Kandawal, an ophthalmologist and professor at Baylor College of Medicine. So, Dr. Kandewal, can we talk about cataracts and the signs that someone may have cataracts? How does it differ from traditional vision problems?
2: Absolutely. So, with cataracts, what a cataract actually is, is we're all born with a lens implant, a lens in the eye. That lens is crystal clear, actually. And as we grow, that lens stays clear and it changes a little bit in shape. And then, you know, when you hit your 40s or early 50s, um, there's various reasons why that lens can no longer see up close. People will need reading glasses, but that's not a cataract developing. That's just the normal changes in that lens over time. And people will be more and more reliant on reading glasses or bifocals at that point. A cataract starts to develop probably in our 50s um, for most patients who get age-related cataracts. It's the actual molecules um, in the proteins in the actual lens that will actually change with time. Most cataracts will turn a little yellow with time, which is why when I do cataract surgery, say, on a patient in one eye, first thing they tell me is my vision is clearer, but also everything's brighter and more white, more blue. And it's because naturally over time a cataract will be a little bit yellow and turn yellower and yellower, but very slowly so that patients don't necessarily notice it. And then they'll get to the point where they start to notice things like glare at nighttime. They'll notice challenges with driving in the evenings at nighttime. And also they'll also notice that their prescription is changing quite a bit. I think we're all used to our prescription changing when we're kids. Um, and then maybe a little bit as the years go on. Um, but when, like, similar to when they were younger, they'll start seeing changes in their prescription and maybe becoming more nearsighted. Or for some patients, um, believe it or not, because they're becoming more nearsighted from the cataract, their reading vision will come back again. Um, We call that second sight, and that's what happens when you become more nearsighted due to the cataract formation. Eventually, patients will be inclined to do something to improve their vision. And so cataract surgery is one of the most common surgeries performed um, in this country. It's an outpatient procedure. Uh, Patients don't go to sleep for the surgery. We just give a little bit of relaxing medicine. The surgery will take 10 to 15 minutes. Um, maybe longer if it's a really big cataract or there are some special things about the patient's eye that need some extra steps, um, extra um, you know, different instruments to try to improve the outcome. Um, And then afterwards, they'll go home that day and we'll see them back the next day and then a few weeks later. Um, In general, with cataract surgery, the goal is to get people the best vision, maybe for distance, for example. And like we mentioned earlier, there are some special lens implants that can be used um, but I always tell patient there's no lens implant, unfortunately, that can make you 20 years again, um, 20 years old again. Um, each lens um, implant has some pros and cons. And it's very important to discuss that with your surgeon and take some time to pick the lens implant that works best for you.
1: Well, I want to go to another caller. We have Claiborne on the line. And Claiborne, go ahead. You're on the air.
3: Hi. Um, I just want to say down here in Texas – people drive with their high beams on all the time. Plus, a lot of headlights aren't properly aimed, so they're aimed up. But back when I had reading glasses made, had driving glasses made, no prescription, they, f- they go to gray when exposed to light, they cut glare, and they also seem to improve vision at night.
1: Uh, Claiborne, if you don't mind me asking, where did you get those uh, vision glasses from? Night vision glasses. I had them make.
3: Mm-hmm. I had the optometrist make them when he made my reading glasses.
1: Oh, awesome. All right. Well, Claiborne, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and Dr. Candlewall, I kind of, based off what Claiborne was saying, I remember when I was younger, I would see these advertisements on television Um about these nighttime driving glasses and are those legitimate or are they only legitimate when they come from an optometrist?
2: Well, I mean, I think as far as legitimacy goes, I mean, there's definitely some great lenses out there that can cut the glare. And it's actually something that we use for a number of patients um, who A, you know, can't necessarily have surgery for whatever reason, um, or um, if they're, you know, really, really important nighttime drivers and they feel like they get eye fatigue. It is best though to go through an optometrist or an ophthalmologist to get those sent or prescribed to you. For one, going back to earlier, if you're going to do that, you want to have any little prescription put in the glasses because once again, it's not necessarily the glare only. It can sometimes be a little bit of nighttime vision myopia, meaning some nearsightedness that people get at nighttime. And if you're going to wear these glasses, you want to have the full prescription put in them. But they absolutely can help. Um, I just don't necessarily, I don't know brands that are just over the counter that I would recommend. I would recommend if somebody is interested in getting those that they see their local eye doctor um, to discuss. There are other reasons why, actually, there's some good lenses out there. You know, putting aside the nighttime vision-type glasses, there are even some glasses for daytime that cut out some of the glare. We have some patients um, who are just more light-sensitive, and maybe they've been like that their whole life, and this is talking about just daytime glare. and, And they wear sunglasses, but they don't always feel Um, that they can see as well with the glasses. So there are some ways to create gradient and shading in your lenses, um, especially for somebody who maybe has always been light sensitive. Um, We also have ones for patients who have certain eye conditions um, or even certain, you know, brain injuries, for example, patients who are more sensitive to light after traumatic brain injury. There are specific lenses that can be used. And I will say it's a little bit out of my expertise um, because Um, Although I really um, have a lot of experience with cataracts and with dry eye, I generally refer it to my wonderful optometry group um, who do a great job with examining patients um, and developing a plan for their glare when it comes to actually having glasses that can help cut some of that.
1: I want to go to another caller that we have. We have Dee on the line. And Dee, go ahead. You're on the air.
2: Yes. Thank you for this segment. It's so important. Um, there, not only myself, but there are so many of us out here who struggle with that halo, with those LED lights, with um, night driving. I'm wondering if, or I'm, I'm, in, I'm curious about does um, one normally at a certain age have and struggle with? Um, their pupil being dilated all the time?
1: All right, Dee. Well, thank you so much for that question. And Dr. Kandawal, do you want to respond to that?
2: Um, Well, you know, our pupils will dilate if our brain signals that not enough light is getting in. And so absolutely with time, you know, we may have changes um, in the fact that our pupil size is different. I will say, in general, people's people size is similar throughout their lifestyle. If anything, we have younger patients have really big people sometimes. Um, but I think all the aberrations that happen become more apparent um, as we get older as well. So let me give you an example. So whenever we look at, say, a new lens implant that goes in the eye, we don't just describe in the clinical trials what the patient's vision is, We describe it at the two-millimeter pupil, the four-millimeter pupil, and the six-millimeter pupil, because that is how incredibly different someone's vision can be. That's millimeters. That's so tiny. Um, But someone who's seeing through a two-millimeter pupil versus a four-millimeter pupil, it can actually be very different. So it's very important um, that when you have your eyes checked um, that you get an undilated exam to look at what your glasses prescription is. And then you also have a good dilated exam, but it can be a huge difference. So for example, when you're driving at nighttime and your pupil goes up to six millimeters, the prescription's absolutely different. There are also some medications um, that can change your pupil size that can then affect your nighttime driving. There are some medications that actually make your pupil a little smaller, for example, Um, certain medicines that can do that can be some of the medications for like prostate issues, um, for example, um, those for issues um, with bladder control. Those can actually change your pupil size and make your pupil a little smaller and harder to dilate at nighttime. So I just described reasons why a big pupil is a bad thing because sometimes it can make the aberrations worse at night. But guess what? If your pupil doesn't dilate very much at nighttime, you're not getting enough light in. Um, And so you also can have challenges with driving. So those are medicines that can actually make your pupil a little smaller and therefore your nighttime driving can be affected. There are also some medicines that can make your pupil a little bigger um, and kind of bigger all the time. Um, And so some of these medicines, for example, like one of the more common things I'll hear is that people will say they took medicine, for example, to allow for them not to be seasick, for example. Um, But then they'll notice that their vision is different afterwards because it changes the pupil size, certain anti-nausea medications. And so it's important um, if you're having challenges with nighttime driving and it's something that's different, um, You know, if you've had a new change in your medications, you may want to address that and ask your primary care doctor about that. Because sometimes there are newer medicines that I don't even know the names of. But when you look up the way that the medication works it can affect the pupil just as much as what is actually trying to treat
1: All right, well, we can go ahead and take another break right here. And when we get back, we'll continue our conversation on the risks of nighttime driving and how you could protect yourself to, you know, be as safe as possible when you're driving at night. The number to call if you have a question is 833-877-8255. That's 833-TPR-TALK. And you can also email us at thesource at tpr.org. This is The Source on Texas Public Radio, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to The Source on Texas Public Radio, I'm Kayla Padilla. We're talking to Dr. Sumitra Candlewell, she's a professor of ophthalmology at Baylor College of Medicine, Colon Eye Institute, and also serves as the medical director for the Lion's Eye Bank of Texas. The number to call if you have a question or comment is 833-877-8255. So Dr. Candlewell, I'm curious, for people like truck drivers or those who have to drive long distances, sometimes a lot of the times in the dark, how does that impact their vision over time? Does it have have an impact, like if their eyes always trying to adjust to the dark?
2: It doesn't necessarily have an impact. Um, You know, doing a lot of nighttime driving, ironically, I think makes you a better nighttime driver. I think the patients that have the most challenges when they actually drive 99.9% of the time during the day and then occasionally drive at night, they'll really notice suddenly the impact of how their vision system is so different at nighttime compared to what they're used to. But I will say there's a few things and specifically about things like truck drivers, you know, they do long haul driving sometimes and that in itself can be really challenging and they've got the stamina for it. Um, But with that, fatigue certainly plays a role when you're driving at nighttime Um, and then you know, they're going to be much more sensitive to changes in, say, having dryness and such than an average person because they're spending almost every day driving at nighttime. And so those are important things. And I will say for those who do nighttime driving, you know, it's so important to their lifestyle. I always tell them that some of these lenses we talked about earlier for say cataract surgery or even particular types of contact lenses that have these rings or different types of um, aberrations are just not great options for them. And so really highly recommend they stick with uh, lenses, whether they be contact lenses or um, lens implants um, when they have to have cataract surgery um, that really have no rings or aberrations on them.
1: I want to go to another caller. We have David on the line. And David, go ahead. You're on the air.
3: Yes, I just wanted to comment that I used to be a driver. I drove 150 miles a day uh, in Detroit in all four seasons. One of the things I used to make sure that I did is make sure my car was ready, my headlights and my mirrors were clean, washer fluid was full, blades were newer. Also, too, if you're a smoker, glaze builds up and causes glare inside the car. I had AB, a UV on my glasses, and legislation has been passed on those headlights. They are too bright.
1: All right, David. Well, thank you so much for that call. And Dr. Candlewall. is David
2: the perfect driver or what? He really is. And you know, he mentioned something that I I loved how he even commented about his like rearview mirrors need to be cleaned. That's another thing that I'll notice is that even in my own car, (laughs) I'll be like, Wow, my rear view mirrors, like and my side mirrors, they're 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 pretty splotchy. Like I don't think anyone has ever cleaned them. Sometimes I go to the gas station and clean my windshield. Um, but those are sadly overlooked. So he looks like he's the perfect driver with the perfect um, you know, assessment um of his vehicle and his own uh visual system from the very beginning each drive. He did also bring up a good point, which you know, this is about nighttime driving, um, but daytime driving as well, those all the things we mentioned Um, also can help with your daytime driving Um, but the uv protection is very very important Um, as well as you know wearing sunglasses that have polarized um, lighting that's very very important to cut the glare as well Um, because the other thing i'll notice patients will start saying um, regardless of cataracts or not is they'll say i'm okay driving but i'm just so light sensitive compared to where i used to be and those things can really help
1: I want to go to another caller that we have. We have Ted on the line. And, Ted, go ahead. You're on the air.
3: Yeah, I'd like to know why uh, DOT is shutting the lights off in the construction zones. That makes everything really, really dangerous. I drive for a living. Uh So I drive during the day and night. And up and down 35, there's potholes there. They're tearing up people's cars, and you cannot see them because don't shut the lights off and what makes it worse when you really enter the where they're actually doing a whole lot of work they've got spotlights that go right in your face and it's very difficult to see around that
1: all right well thank you so much for that call Ted I appreciate it Uh, Dr. Candlewall do you have any words of advice for you know those bright lights and for these construction zones
2: I will say, and I'm so sorry that you're going through that in those areas. I would say that, you know, one of the things that you do is when you map out wherever you're going to be, if you see any area that's got construction, I would say that, like, Absolutely expect the worst in that area. And he mentioned the headlights, um, the spotlight coming straight at you. I have certainly seen that before. And he mentioned the potholes. I mean, I'm in here inside the loop in Houston, so there's potholes everywhere around here. Um, But all that being said, I mean, do expect to take a lot slower um, in those areas. And also, I mean, make a note and report it. Um, And I'm sure he has reported it since he probably has, I hear some frustration in his voice. For example, I'm driving down um, you know, here in Houston, for example, and for whatever reason, whether it's wear and tear, some of the signs, the big signs on like fifty nine going to downtown, they've just the um the lighting on them, the print has actually been worn off. So you can't actually see at nighttime what exit to take. And I happen to know everything around here, but it's a big deal. But take a moment then report it. Um, And I think it's something that, and I don't know what were exactly reported for other areas, um, but certainly, you know, go on the website and make complaints about that, because that sounds very challenging. And I don't know how many people drive on that area right now, but it does need to be something that's changed. Um, But I always feel like you know, sometimes my, my car will tell me there's a danger zone or a high risk zone ahead or uneven streets. Um but it usually misses that, to be honest. Um and then things are always changing. So I'm sure if you made a complaint of that area on thirty five where it's um got such bad lighting, it could change. It could be like whack a mole and then it'll just be a different area in a bit. So I hear the frustration and once again, you know, I, I go back to the fact that like as a driver, you know, I can't control everything out there. I wish I could. I wish there was better lighting in all areas and that the Houston potholes and the Texas potholes were fixed, but they're not. So you go back to the checklist that our other caller went through and you take control of what you can um, and give yourself extra time in certain areas. Um, But I I hear that frustration.
1: Can we talk about how dry eye impacts nighttime driving? Um, But first, can you explain to us what happens when someone has dry eye? How does it happen and how common is it?
2: Yeah, I mean, dry eye is very common, but it's also, I don't know, it's, it's, it's not a word um, that describes all the variations of the eye being um, affected um, by the tears. So, you know, our eyes are, um, we make tears um, and they coat the cornea. The cornea is like the window to the eye. So when you look at someone's eye, you can't actually see the cornea you see their colored part of their eye. But the cornea is like a window on top of that. And that needs to be crystal clear in order to have the best vision. And we make tears that coat that area. But there are a few things that can happen. One, your tear quality may not be very good. Um, Two, there may be reasons why those tears evaporate very quickly and then cause irregularities. Um, And there may be some other issues, Um, certain medicines that make you produce less tears or certain conditions that make you produce less tears, like autoimmune issues um, or like diabetes, for example, uh, may affect the quality of your tears. With that being said, you know, I tell people all the time, well, if your eyes are dry, you know, we can start with things like artificial tears and maybe even go on to doing some prescription medications. But of course, the challenge is when you're driving, if your eyes become dry, what are you supposed to do, right? You can't just stop in the <laughs> middle. Um, you know, if you're at the computer and you're working on a project, you know, it's reasonable to take a break and put some tears in your eye, but you can't do that when you're driving necessarily. And so I tell people to kind of Prep for it accordingly. There's a few little things you can do in your car, actually. First of all, I mean, if you have dry eye, putting an artificial tear before you drive is good. Also, I mean, it's a good idea when the air condition is blowing, and we need the air condition here in Texas in the summertime. Make it so it's not blowing directly in your face or in your eyes. You know, put it lower than you, for example, or higher than you. That can really help as well. And then turn it down once the actual car is at a better um, temperature because that can dry out your eyes quite a bit Um, and that's something to kind of keep in mind also the way you're sitting in the car is similar to when you're sitting at a computer you want to be kind of optimized in order to um, not dry out. So if you're sitting in the car and your seat's a little bit low and a little back and you're looking up, that's just more of your eye exposed while you're driving um, versus sitting in a much more comfortable position where you're looking straight ahead. And that's actually good for your back long drives as well. And so those's just little things that you can do um, when you're driving. But taking breaks is important. I mean, after many hours of driving, you know, your eyes will be fatigued and it's good to take a break. Um, and that's where having a partner driving can really help. If you think about why this happens, why dry eye affects the ability to see so much, it's amazing. We have this very complex eye, but our tear film, that's the quality of your tears and how it coats the cornea, that makes up a lot of our quality of vision, actually. In fact, it makes up a lot of what um, a perfect glasses prescription can can do. And so, the other challenge I see is when people have dry eye, they go in to see their eye doctor and they get a glasses prescription. But that prescription may not always be the best one because their eyes were so dry. And so I always encourage patients when I see them and I'll tell them, hey, you know, I got a good glasses prescription today, but I don't think it was great because you're real dry today. And we need to recheck this at a different time. So if you feel like you have dry eye and you're having some challenges with certain visions, such as driving in the evenings at nighttime, you know, talk to your eye doctor about some of these complaints and make sure that they're getting you a good glasses prescription based on how your eyes are when they're not very dry. We have about 40 seconds here,
1: but if you could just tell us what are some other things that people could be doing to make driving a night safer?
2: Uh, What should they be looking out for? Absolutely. I and mean, I think overall, you know, we went over the fact that like you want to have a nice clear windshield, you want to make sure that your you know, car is set up for driving, your glasses prescription is great and that you've seen your eye doctor to make sure there's no other eye issues. There's some medications um, that can cause vision issues. So you wanna get that checked out. There's also some vitamin deficiencies, um, like say vitamin A deficiency. And so if you're somebody who's been on recent diets, definitely get your eyes checked out and maybe some of your levels checked out um, if you're noticing huge changes. But I think overall, it's just really important for people to be aware that there's certain things you can control um, when you're having challenges driving at nighttime and to make sure to see their eye doctor if they're having major problems. Dr. Sumitra
1: Kandawal is a professor of ophthalmology at Baylor College of Medicine, Colon Eye Institute, and also serves as the medical director for the Lions Eye Bank of Texas. And Dr. Candlewall, thank you so much for coming on our program today. I appreciate your insight, and I know our listeners appreciated you as well.
2: Thank you. This
1: has been The Source on Texas Public Radio. I'm Kayla Padilla, in for David Martin Davies. Thank you so much for listening.
0: This has been The Source on Texas Public Radio. The Source is hosted and produced by David Martin Davies. Kayla Padilla is our booking and engagement producer. Engineering support from Ruben Garcia, Jesse Reeves, and Steve Short. Dan Katz is TPR's Vice President of News. The Source is made possible with support from the Gladys and Ralph Lazarus Foundation.